You gotta be kidding me. That's staying in. I don't know how that happened. We just waited for you to turn off your phone. But your phone had one last deathgasm left to go. To rem- that was like a pox on both your houses. Like just one last right before it died. Hi. Who are you? Uh, I am Rafiq Shaheen, and with me is my tons of fun co-host. I thought you were going to say it. I'm oh, Alan okay. And this is called So How About This. So How About This. So How About That, right? How about this? Uh, we are on uh, part two of a series that we're going to regret shortly. <laughs> Probably. We might have regretted today. Uh, this I, is. I'm not, I, I think I'm never going to regret <laughs> okay. the movie we've seen. <laughs> so we are going through the catalog of the film auteur Sam Furstenberg. Uh, <laughs> we did Revenge of the Ninja, okay. which is a fascinating piece of cinema. It it is definitely what I would consider high low art. Mm, <laughs> yeah, I like that. And today we watched. I, it's it's more fun to say than it is to watch. Today we watched Breaking Break Two, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Uh, <laughs> had you seen this film before? Reveal? I have seen it, but before, but it has been so long since I've seen it. What so long? Ten years? Twenty Probably years? Probably like ten years. Okay, so you would have been in your twenties when you saw it, right? Probably even younger than that. Maybe like seventeen, eighteen. That's about. That's a good age for this movie. Sure. Right. Uh, now I was. I got ten years on you. I was alive when this movie came out. Okay. So as a very young boy, I remember in the I, I theater mean, just holding your ticket. <laughs> no, like I, mean, I, I didn't see it in the theater that I know of that I can remember. But I mean, I remember being aware of this, and when, I was like a child, and breakdancing was like the cool fucking thing at the time. So yeah, no, I remember. No. Th- I, I I absolutely understand. I mean, once the Stone Age was done, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. you, you were like the next big thing is going to be breakdancing. Well, what I did is I took I took a blanket and I sent smoke signals out, and I was like, must watch. But we didn't have a word for movie, so it was like must watch picture right. and you know the guy on the other mountain he didn't get it right but we like, did break dance at each other from across the mountains <laughs> from across the mountains because that's what communicates <laughs> right. and if this movie has taught us anything it's that break dancing communicates all well it doesn't just communicate all does it Ravi? it seems to have its own uh, uh, mystical uh, presence i don't know if that's the it, right it, word yes uh, tell us tell us a little bit. You know what? There's no point trying to go through the plot. Here's the plot. Ready? I wish I had a little clicky. Right. I'm not even it's not even going to be 60 seconds. Here's the plot. Go. There's a community center that the rich white guy wants to break down, so the breakdancers raise money to save the community center. The end. I think that's literally the most consistent <laughs> synopsis of the plot I've ever heard yeah. of the movie. That's so I think I think I'll do it in an interview fashion this time. We're actually across from each other. We actually made sure that it sounded good before we hit record. <laughs> so, uh, uh, tell us about what breakdancing can do to the world around it. Right. So, uh, I have 
established now. This is my own headcanon. Uh-huh. Bear in mind, nothing in the movie corroborates this. I don't know if I agree with that, but go ahead. But I have established in my own headcanon that one of the principal characters the characters of this movie, by the name of Turbo, yeah. is some sort of trickster god who has decided to live amongst the humans. In and, order to... In order to wow them with his magic and his breakdancing ways. dancing ways, yes. First off, this character is almost never seen not breaking. Yes, he he eats while he's breaking. Break no, he didn't eat breakdancing. He definitely got dressed breakdancing. Break he, he did some other mi- mundane thing while he yeah. was breakdancing. He now uh, the w- reason why you got confused about <laughs> eating while breakdancing is he left the room right breakdancing <laughs> after he was done eating. <laughs> right, they had insulted him at the meal, yeah. and on the way out the door, they didn't just walk out. No, they broke dance okay, out. out. Yeah. <laughs> Which that uh, we're skipping. I mean, like, there's no way. So he did when when he was getting dressed. He was definitely breaking while he was getting dressed. Right. But there was something else before that that he was doing that was really mundane. It wasn't brushing his teeth, but it was like it was like he was breaking while he was brushing right. his teeth or whatever it was. Th- this is a movie that is inspired by <laughs> dance, in love with dance. And absolutely has no real relationship to dance. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. For a movie called Breakin' 2, how what, what would you say the percentage of the dancing is that's actually breakdancing? I would go... Hmm, that's a very good question. I would go... A solid 40%. I think that's good. I was going to say 50, but I think you're right. I think about 40% of the dancing in this film is actually breakdancing. Right, because there's like a lot of like Mm samba-esque dancing and like some ballet Uh going on. And there's a point where like it's not even dance. They're just doing gymnastics. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's more than one occasion where there's like guys just with nunchucks. Right. You're not even dancing. You're just swinging nunchucks around. (laughs) Yeah, there's a there's a few guys who do ninjutsu right. instead of dancing in this movie. There's a there's a guy who like qualifies as part of like the group of characters, uh-huh. even though it's like clear his only shtick is that he's a mime. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. So, like, whenever you go to the community center, there's just a mime there. Right. And apparently, this man lives as a mime. <laughs> right. Yes. He he like, like he doesn't talk to anyone <laughs> nope. at any point in time. There's never a moment where someone's like, "Hey, Rocky," and he's like, "What?" And someone's <laughs> like, "Can you show us around?" And then he just mimes. His way. No, it just starts off of like, "Hey, can you show us around?" And he just starts miming his way through the community. By the center. way, as far as I can tell, his name is Magician. Yes. <laughs> introduce him as this is magician he's a mime who apparently lives in the community center to be fair everybody in this movie who's not white (laughs) does not go by their legal given name that's true well magician so that means that he is named magician because he is white Yes. Okay. okay that, I mean that that he might be the only exception, but then again, he's like the only white guy in the community center. All right. So uh, you've got. Let's go through your bullet points. Okay. I don't think I need to go through mine. I can just interview you. But you've got about eight things there that you clearly need to talk about. So my my first thing starts off at the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. and that's when we're introduced to Michael Boogaloo Shrimp, right? <laughs> 
What was his last name? I think it was like Carter or something like Look, that. To, to be clear, audience, as the opening credits are rolling, you know, you got the title, right. you, you get your top build actors, and one of them is Michael, and in quotes... Boogaloo Shrimp. And his last name's like Carter, Carter or something. Right. To which... I'd like and my, that's the first 10, like, like, 20 seconds of the film. Yes, like you're not you're not even past like the opening like image. Yeah. Like first off, I as soon as I saw that, I had to stop and go, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Right. Because this implies that not only is this guy's nickname Boogaloo Shrimp, mm-hmm. right, but it implies that like somebody was putting the title card together. <laughs> And he busted in the room and was like, hold everything. Right? And it's like, because there's only two avenues this could have gone, right? Is either he absolutely knew that they were going to call him Michael Boogaloo. (laughs) Or it was a prank on him. Right? Yes, exactly. Or he had no idea. It ruined his film career. Not because he was in this movie. Not because he was a bad actor. But because they couldn't book him. Now because everyone wanted to call him Boogaloo Boogaloo Shrimp. Shrimp. Right? Mm. Like, imagine trying to get a serious role with that on your credits. (laughs) Right? It's like, hey man... So we're, we're thinking of people for Buffalo Bill for coming, Silence of the Land. Coming this fall, a heart-wrenching tale of love and loss. Michael Boogaloo <laughs> Shrimp Carter in... <laughs> Whatever. I didn't right. have a title for it. Kate and Leopold. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine... In the, uh, in the role of a lifetime. Dude, just going back and replacing like famous <laughs> actors with Michael Boogaloo Shrimp <laughs> makes the name so much better. Right? It's like, hey, uh, coming this summer, Silence of the Land, starring Michael Boogaloo Shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> and then it cuts to like him doing a real dramatic turn. <laughs> I told you not to turn! <laughs> Buffalo Soldiers starring Michael (laughs) (laughs) The remake of The Roots that we've all been waiting for. Which, which again, going back to this, we we clearly haven't done any research into who this guy actually is, but there's no indication that, like, He's a white dude, black dude, Spanish dude. Like, there's oh, nothing, I, think, like... I think we can assume he's a black dude. I don't think we need to reach too far for that. <laughs> he's either black or from Louisiana. I guess. That's it. Those are your two options. All right, so that was your first bullet right. point. The second bullet point comes like probably like five or ten minutes into the movie. There's just a poster for a thing called street jazz. I think. Now, this movie doesn't... It is a sequel. It's the same character. It's not a sequel. What was that bad Van Damme sequel we watched that didn't have Van Damme in it? It had Spawn in it. um, Whatever it was called. It wasn't one of those sequels that had nothing to do with the original. They just used the title to sell it. I mean, it it has the same characters. They have the same relationships. So at the end of the first one, she kind of joins them in their little breakdancing crew. So I'm assuming that the poster of Street Jazz was a reference to that was the show they put on together after the first film. Right, which I go is fair. But the problem I actually had with the poster 
is it just says street jazz on it, uh-huh. but there's no time or information anywhere <laughs> on the poster. So it just implies that they made the poster <laughs> yeah. and they just put it up. Maybe this film was a tragedy. Maybe they never got that original show off the ground <laughs> and they only had enough money to get the poster made. Oh, so, it, so it's a redemption story. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. And speaking of relationships, uh-huh. right? Now this may be the note that I wrote myself. Right. Go ahead. Let's talk about Kelly, Turbo, and, and Ozo. Now let me interrupt for a minute. Kelly, in the first film, she's the white, rich ballet dancer. She meets these breakdancing street guys, falls in love with their world, and you know they're kind of resistant toward her. Or at least Ozone is. He's real aggressive toward her. Turbo doesn't care. He's he's a good-hearted guy. He just loves everybody. Well, and I mean, so, tricks are gods usually. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and so in the first film, she has to kind of win over Ozone and get him to understand, no, I want to be a part of this. And so he teaches her to brag dance, but she also kind of teaches him some ballet, and she has this her own, her own like ballet break dance, fusion dance okay. that she does. So, God, I forgot my point. Why was I saying all that? We're talking about relationship between so, in this movie, this is what I need to say, and then you can go back. What I need to say, so when she arrives in this movie and sees Turbo and Ozone, she's it's like a it's like a homecoming. Everybody's right. like, Kelly, Kelly. She gives Turbo a hug, then she goes to Ozone and they like kiss, and it's not like buddies kissing. It's right. like lovers kissing. And for the rest of that entire sequence, he's like got his arm around. He's very like uh, he's kind of pissing on her. You know? Yeah, he's, like he's, he's very possessive. He's very possessive. He's keeping her close. But every time he like introduces her to people, unless they didn't already know her, they're like, "Who's this? This is Kelly." So she's coming out of the car like, "I have returned. I have missed you guys." But like, are her and Ozone a couple like it's really unclear and then throughout the film there's moments in the story that are intentionally vague where he even tells somebody like "Eh, whatever she ain't nobody like i don't don't know what their relationship is right which which especially makes it even weirder because she has a fiance that's just introduced. But I don't think she does. I think the parents decided that was her fiance. Right. Like they just, they're like, we're just going to marry her off. Yeah, like, like get- even that, because when they introduce him as the fiance, the parents do. Ozone and Turbo are like surprised, but then she stands behind the stuffy fiance and points at him and like rolls her eyes like, well, I don't right. want to fuck this guy. Right, which he is kind of a dick, but sure. that's that's something clear. <laughs> well, and he's different. proud of it because right, at, yeah. at some point, somebody says, "Why are you being so unpleasant?" And he just smiles and goes, "Uh huh." <laughs> <laughs> but the thing I want to talk about relationships is clearly Ozone, uh, Kelly, and Turbo are a thruple, <laughs> right? And what is your evidence for this? <laughs> right. My evidence for this is there is more than one scene. Where we find Ozone alone with one of the characters. Mm-hmm. He's alone with Kelly, or he's alone with uh, Turbo. And, like, his pants are, like, partially zipped down. Right. And, like, he's kind of nude. Yeah. Like, not, like, completely nude. Like, with Kelly, his shirt's off and his zipper's undone. Yeah, they clearly with, got done fucking. Right, but with 
uh, Turbo. Now he's Turbo like, walks in on him like that. Yes. So he may have just been jerking off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? He may have walked in on him like that, but it isn't like a couple until like a couple minutes into the scene after he starts asking him, "How do I get with girls?" That ozone decides to zip up his pads. It's kind of like, oh, I'm not getting any head. <laughs> but he's also like weirded out by it. Like right? he doesn't just stand up and go, let me tell you. And he like he jumps up and he's all flustered and he like pulling his pants back. Oh, what are you right. talking about, man? How do you get with girls? Yeah, exactly. But that's my that's so my, that's my you're evidence. saying it's a jealousy thing. <laughs> right. His boyfriend just came in and Is said it? how do I, and now he's pissed. Yeah, he's like, oh, what the fuck, man? I thought we were gonna fuck, and this is how uh, fine. Well, let, let's also say so. The girl that Turbo is interested in, by the way, is a little button. She's the yeah, cutest yeah. girl in the film. She's a little Latina girl who doesn't speak English. She goes, okay, so they're at the community center. Oh, we're doing the backup now. Here we go. They're at the community center. Everything is at the community center. They've got dance classes. They've got ballet classes. They've got boxing. Right. And those are the three things they have. Oh, and a mine. So Turbo leaves the community center and finds a stage, like, in the park. And there's, like, Latino people kind of salsa dancing on the stage. But also, everyone who is watching is standing up on the bleachers and dancing. And at like, that moment, just having a dance party. At that moment, my brain short circuited. I was like, "What the hell is going on in this movie right now?" She goes up to Turbo, says some Spanish stuff to him. Turbo goes to one of the bleacher dancers and goes, "What did she say?" Bleacher dancer goes, "She thinks you're sexy and wants to dance with you." At which point Turbo leaves, right. finds Ozone with his pants undone, and goes, tell me how to get with girls. That's right. And then Ozone but, has to like train him to talk to girls. You don't have to put in any work. Right. She walked up to him and said, you are sexy, I want to dance with you. I, I think you're missing two important things, too, <laughs> yeah. on that transition. One, not only does he leave to find Ozone, he apparently changes. Right. <laughs> Turbo in his loves to accessorize. Right. He has a thousand outfits. Right. Two of them are Sergeant Pepper outfits. Right. And they're not and the best thing about it is two of those Sergeant Pepper outfits are not the same no, Sergeant Pepper they're outfit. Not. No, they're not. Like, uh but he leaves to find Turbo. Now, I will... Or Ozone. Now, I will say in Turbo's defense, mm-hmm. right? He is taking... He asked a random dude in the audience <laughs> who was clearly not in a position to hear what they said at all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, he's like a row or two back. And she's still on the stage when she's inviting him up. And he never actually, like transcribes to the spanish guy what she said he just goes what did she say and the guy the guy kind of has this look at his face like i don't fucking know <laughs> like i guess she says i'm just you're busy se- i'm just busy dancing on this bleacher right man. like i guess she says you're sexy she wants you to go dance with her you know yeah. which is a good logical assumption sure right 
if I was sitting, you know, back and somebody started speaking French to me and I turned to one of my Haitian friends and was like, what'd she say? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I don't know. She thinks she's sexy. wants to dance with you. I wouldn't be mad. <laughs> <laughs> you would be mad when you went up to her and said, my friend said you said, and then she right. slapped you. And you'd be like, why did you say that? And he was like, I don't know, man. I wasn't right. listening. But, All right. What, what, you got, what you got next on your list? Right. But speaking of which, so in that scene where Turbo goes from uh, one location to the next, like you were saying, everything goes back to the community center. Everything right. goes back to the community center. Because apparently this is the one thing, it's not school that's keeping the kids out the streets. No. It's just the community center. Yeah, and the, the movie like, never clarifies, is this taking place during summer? Do these people right. have jobs? Because there's just adults and kids at the community center all the, all the time, time, and it's the same adults and same kids all, <laughs> all the, the time. time. Right. And I guess Turbo, or not Turbo, Ozone lives in a shack on Community Center Grounds. And it is, is a shack. He's got a, a water hose hanging from the wall and, like, tools and shit <laughs> right. running around. He apparently lives in a shack. Right. But my favorite thing about the Community Center is one, or, like, my two favorite things about the Community Center, three, is... One, there's never a real explanation as to the layout of the community center at any point in time. <laughs> we know it's real big. Right, it's just big. Because there's a giant boxing gym. Right. There's, there's a giant ballet area. There's a stage, stage right. with a lot of seats. Right. And, like, not only is there a backstage area, but apparently there's a space enough for them to just practice gymnastics <laughs> yep. in the same building. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but two... When they're walking into the community center for the first time after just dancing in off the street, somebody goes, this is a great place for kids. And then in that same shot, we just see this one kid wailing the fuck on another fat kid (laughs) in the boxing room. I mean, it was was it was not intentional, but it was like a Mel Brooks joke. Right. It was like, this is a great place for kids. Kids fighting. Right. And it's not even like the fat kids like really got his dukes up, like fighting back. The other kids just kind of like sw- like throwing haymakers. <laughs> and like no one's directing them. Like no one's teaching no them rap. anything. <laughs> you two, go fight each other. Right. So all of this is going on. But this brings me to my third favorite thing about the community center is the whole premise of why the community center needs uh, saving is because there's a smarmy 80s bad guy that shows up. Who right? looks like Skeletor. He looks like Skeletor. He looks like he died long ago. <laughs> right. He's, there is he's, something very wrong with his face and his teeth. Right. He, he bothers me. He's like borderline albino without being albino. <laughs> yeah, like, does that make any sense? Dude. He freaks me right. out. But, like, he's your generic 80s bad guy. Oh, he's in a suit right. all the time and he has no respect for the street people. Right. And, and, like, everything about him just kind of oozes, like, not. Like, some weird mixture between, like, charm and, like, charmlessness. Yeah. Right. Uh, Eli Roth called that charm and smart. <laughs> right. He's got the charm exactly. and smart. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I say this with much respect, you know, because, like, we've talked before, my dad has died, blah, blah, blah. But, like, when Robert was alive and in, like, his prime, mm. everything about Robert was, like, that kind of dude. Nice. There was just something my... I. I came from a well-off family. We went poor, and then we got back to middle class. So I've lived in all three economic uh, brackets, which is the reason why I can wholeheartedly say 
When people used to ask me about my dad, I would go, my dad had 80s bad guy money because that dude was basically my dad. (laughs) He was basically like, I'm just going to come into this area, which I don't really understand the community, and just throw around a bunch of money to demolish a thing or build a thing that I don't really know if I want that (laughs) thing. (laughs) Let's talk about, now maybe I misunderstood, I will... Anyone who can prove me wrong on this. When they first... When the developers first arrive and see the community center, I swear to you, Skeletor looks at it and goes, that building. Like, he he yeah. says he says something like it's magnificent or marvelous. He says something that makes you think he wants to possess that building. Then the very next time you see him, he's talking about building a shopping center and tearing down the building. It, it's not a sh- well. Okay. Yeah. Go so ahead. The, I know where so that, yeah. that's that brings me to my third favorite thing <laughs> of the community center. Right? Is so smarmy bad guy. Right? Wants to build something where the community center stands. At first, it's like a mall. Then it's like a shopping center. Then it's a supermarket. Yeah. It's never really clear what his final it is, plan is. It is a place of commerce. <laughs> right. He's got, he's got a model. At one point, he's standing in front of the model. So they've got a model for it, right. but apparently they don't know what it is yet. Right. They just know it's a giant clamshell kind of building, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. But the thing that I love about the community center, and the third thing is, in this building of impossible space... Somehow, smarmy bad guy. I'm just imagining like Super Mario 64. Like there's paintings that they jump through, and it takes them to whole new areas. Right? Is smarmy bad guy has somehow determined that the building is not safe to be in, even though it's never explicitly explained how they've come to that conclusion. Yeah, there's never a moment where you see someone fucking with the wiring, right? You know, like. They just, the movie just tells you the building's not up to code. We're going to tear it down and put in a shopping center. Right. And they, and like, there's never every, any evidence of yeah. this. There's never ever anything in the building so that So they seems... have to get, they have to get $200,000 in the 80s. Yeah. In early 80s money to save. And through their breakdancing magic, they, they basically put, the bad guy on the spot and make him go right i will they go they they make him go well i won't tear down the building and i will donate x amount of dollars and that's when i as a viewer went wait a minute so they still have to raise like another whatever the number was like so what are they trying to do exactly (laughs) and this happens in like the last 15 minutes of the film too but like even better though is like they solicit a bribe from this dude on TV, like in the middle of the day. <laughs> well, I don't because, know if it's a bribe. No, because the news shows up, right? And they go. Look, you... they definitely they blackmail him into oh, donating. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's fine. It's not a bribe. We'll, we'll, we'll say blackmail <laughs> instead. But like they blackmail this because the news shows up and then the zoning guy, which is already a clear conflict of interest from like. Yeah, I don't know who that guy worked for. I don't know if he worked for the city or he worked for the developer or what his story was. So the implication, so there's smarmy bad guy and then there's toady white dude. With the big glasses. Right, big coat glasses. glasses. And so glasses, right? 
definitely works for a department for the city that's attached to, like, the zoning commission. But he still has to go to the public forum right, to, to make, like, make his case. Right. He's not on the panel, but I think the developer was on the panel. He was, like, seated, like, <laughs> right up there. That room that they held the meeting in was very weird. Uh, but my point is, is that uh, Glasses is, like, clearly in a conflict of interest because, like, he just shows up and he's like, well, I'll, I'll tell the zoning commission that the building needs to be torn down. And it's very clear he's, like, a government employee. But, like, not 30 seconds later, he's, like, face-to-face with the guy building the shopping mall. Yeah. Talking about it very loudly of, like, I'll convince them. And it's like... Yeah, know, I don't know. I just don't know who he works for. I don't, I'm don't. i very right. confused by his whole presence in the film. <laughs> but, <laughs> Which, by the way, that's not the first time we've said that about a Sam Furstenberg film. <laughs> no, that's <not> true. <laughs> uh... So, oh, let's talk about the fundraising montage. The very oh, first the one. the most boring part of the film. Oh, yeah. It's, it's now, I, I've seen this movie several times. This is one of my favorite bad movies. I watched it, let's say, five years ago with a team of guys, and we were all drinking and laughing at it. And I forgot about the first, like, car wash, lemonade stand, you know, stuff they were doing to raise money montage. Where I was like going, Jesus Christ, this movie sucks. Like right. they're just, it's a montage of kids washing cars. It like the, it, that's the thing. It's like they're washing cars. That's the only scene mime gets any love or respect in <laughs> because like apparently he's a big money maker. Yeah, <laughs> blowing up funny balloons. Bruce, yeah. Right. Well, I, I can respect the dude busking. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But like, because apparently they raised like seven thousand dollars, and I kind of go like, mime, uh, uh, the magician, yeah, is has to have been the dude who raised the majority of that money. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the kids washing cars were raking in the cash. Right. But they're like they're washing cars. They're selling lemonade. There's a kid selling maps to like Homes of the Stars, which is real scummy. I don't even remember like, that. Yeah. <laughs> It's a real. I think I checked out. It it was one of those moments where like I saw that and I was like, I know you're raising money for charity, kid, but like that's real <laughs> fucking creepy. Like, uh, but like they go through all of this, right? And it's like you said, it's so boring. It's so boring because like there's no real stakes. It's not, and it's not even like they're getting close. To the two hundred grand that right. they need, right. they make seven thousand dollars, which again is a lot of money. I mean, at, at the very least, that pushes the characters to go ahead and try to create the street festival, right? Because Turbo stands up and goes, "What if we did a big street festival?" Right, but I, that's the kind of thing where I go, if you want to do that, right, in a movie, then the stake should have been you guys need to raise. Twenty thousand dollars, and then the kids get to like ten thousand or whatever. So they go. Well, yeah, they do all that in the last fifteen minutes. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they they had to get after they blackmailed the guy into giving them money. They were still some obscene amount of money off. Yeah, it was like one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. They like, somehow <laughs> managed to raise a hundred thousand dollars, and then of course Kelly's rich father has a change of heart. 
and right. goes, you know, I respect my daughter now. I haven't respected anything she's done for the first right. hour and a half in this film, but now I'm going to give them $50,000. Which, two things. One, I don't understand the lack of respect for Kelly and her profession. Personally, because it's like... I. Now, I'll say this. It's been a while since I saw the first movie, but clearly you guys had to pay for dance lessons at some point. <laughs> yeah. So what the fuck did you think she was yeah, going to do right. with that? She was already like a professional dancer when she met them in the first one. Yeah. Right. And it's like... Well, I mean, the film, when you first see her in this film, she's in a chorus line. Right. And Not the play, a chorus line. She's in a chorus line. Right. To which I go, like, you guys knew that you were paying for... Le- like. <laughs> It's not like your dad was writing you a check every month being like, what are you spending this on? And she was like, crack. And he's like, well, you know, it is the 80s. Like. Yeah, he's real dead set on her going to Princeton. And she's all right. like, it's my life, dad. Which, now I'm going to go hang out in my weird mother-in-law suite house that's part of the bigger house. Right. That doesn't make any sense. And I'll just keep living here. And I guess... I'll just expect you to keep <laughs> right? providing for me. Yeah, and she's <laughs> she's very clearly a trust fund girl. Yeah. Like, daddy still pay for shit. But here's another weird thing about that, too. We are constantly reminded that Kelly has money. Like, she, she'll wear jewelry with, like, a big gem on it. Yeah. She's driving, like, a BMW. And it's like, hey, Kelly, I know you're trying to raise... Uh, you know, $200,000. Do you ever think about just selling one of these things to, like, help that push whole, it along? Well, that whole aspect <laughs> of the film makes no sense. So she's rich. She's wearing big jewels. She drives a nice car. They live in a fucking mansion. This place they live in is huge. Her part... I, I already said this, but you really have to see the film to understand what we're saying. <laughs> Where she lives isn't real clear. Yeah. She clearly has, like, her own section of the house or, like, it's a separate mother-in-law suite to the point where, like, her dad has to knock on the door and ask to come in. Right. But, like, it's still, I guess, on the property of the big house. Or... And so she not only doesn't fork over any money, but then she goes to Ozone and she's like, Ozone, come to my house. My dad can give us money. We can convince him. And Ozone's like, I don't want to just use you for that. I want to make my own way. But then the dad shows up at the end of the movie (laughs) and gives them $50,000 in early 80s money. And they just, like, what is happening? Now, to be fair, at that point in time, Turbo's trickster god powers (laughs) had helped facilitate a street fair. So Ozone had earned that money. Let's. We are. We are basically right in the middle. We'll get to your list. I. I want to talk about for as long as we need to talk about. Let's talk about the incredible, not at all funny, not at all ironic scene where Turbo is dancing around that spinning room. Okay. I let me just say before we continue. You know they do those AFI top one hundred horror movies and mm-hmm. top. I don't think this movie belongs in the top 100 musicals or the top 100 dance movies. Okay. But I think that when they make that list of top 100 dance movies, they have to give an honorable mention to that five minutes of film. It is fucking incredible. So it it is absolutely incredible. And we've talked about this before when (laughs) Natasha was on. Yeah. But, like, one of the things I can absolutely say about this movie is because, like, when I was a kid, I used to watch, like, 
TMC and like AMC and all those things. So I would watch Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, you know, and I will definitely give points yes. to say that is a that is a Fred Astaire level dancing. So with- for anyone who hasn't seen it, what you see on screen is Turbo is on the bed, and then he scoots along the bed, and suddenly he's walking up the wall, and he's dancing along the wall. And now he's standing upside down on the ceiling, and he's dancing on the ceiling. Right, and, and everything he, looks yeah, static. What you, yeah, what you see at home is a man defying physics and walking up walls and standing upside down on the ceiling. What's happening? My understanding—I might be wrong about this. My understanding is it is the same spinning room that they spun Johnny Depp around in in Nightmare on Elm Street. They right. took that exact same because when you watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Johnny Depp is sliding up the walls and sliding across the ceiling. But what's really happening is he's standing in a room that crew members are spinning. So when he's sliding, he's actually falling down the wall and hitting the other side. Right. They got that same room. They redecorated it to look like Turbo's house. And he does this dance scene. Occasionally, you can see him stop to make sure his balance is correct. But other than that, it's it's fucking flawless. He never loses his place. He never repeats himself. Right. You know, he's doing a... It's got to be freestyle. I'm sure they choreographed it to an extent, but it's clear that he's just winging it. And the first major gravity shift, he's on the bed and then scoots along his knees. And if you're just watching it, it looks like a guy who's just scooting along the bed. If you know what's happening, you realize, oh, he's starting to fall. But he actually incorporates it into the dance. Right. It's and, amazing. And that's a that's one of the things I can absolutely give him, which is the reason why I put it up there with like a Fred Astaire yeah. dance, is because like all of his transitions are absolutely smooth. And he even he even does things where he's like uh he'll be bent over. And it just looks like he's doing a weird dance move. But if you know what's happening, you realize, oh, he's actually readjusting himself right. and then getting himself back upright. It's so great. And like and none of it looks forced. None of it. Right. And it's that thing of like he's doing the transitions, he's doing them well. They're like the choreography, you know, is on point and you know, like you said, it's probably been like, okay, and then you're gonna transition here and you're gonna transition here. But, like, there's never a moment, unlike when you see Ozone, (laughs) where, like, Ozone has seven moves. I don't think he has seven. I think he has three. (laughs) Ozone gets one by-himself dance in this movie, and he does all the same moves you've seen him do several times. And, like, that... I, I will say Turbo is clearly the better dancer. Oh, by far. With his trickster god powers. <laughs> and there's a point. This is my last point on the spinning room. There's a point. So when it first starts, he spends time on the wall. Then he spends time on the ceiling. Then he spends time on the other wall. He actually, you know. Then there's a point in the dance where the transitions are happening really fast. He's, right. He's on the wall. He's on the ceiling. He's on the other wall. He's on the floor. He's back on the other wall. And you realize, like, those fuckers are outside, like, spinning it fast. (laughs) And he's just rolling with it. Right. And uh, speaking of which, rolling with it, 
Spanish girl comes in towards the <laughs> end of it. Yeah. And she like marvels at the fact that he's on the ceiling, which again implies one that we can all see his <laughs> trickster goddery yeah. in motion. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because again, no I can't it, think of it another It is baked into the reality of the film that he was on the ceiling. Right. She walks in and looks up and opens her mouth. Oh my god, Turbo's on the ceiling. Right. But <laughs> It also speaks to her as an actress because she came into the scene with the spinning room, mm-hmm. saw this guy mm-hmm. moving along the walls. Yeah, she actually and, she actually leans up against the wall, and he's still doing the dance right. while she's like p- keeping herself really stiff up against the wall. And it's and it and her reactions play as though. There's no difference between right. her perspective and our perspective. It's fantastic. Is, right. But it's, again, it's, the, it's the only part of the film, like, anytime I've ever... You don't watch this movie because it's a good movie. You watch no. it so you can drink and laugh. Yes. Right? But every time I've ever been with people drinking and laughing, when that scene comes up, I'm like, all right, everybody shut up. Right. Watch this shit. It, this it is, is fucking awesome. It, it's, one of, it's one of those weird things of, like, it is a genuinely good scene and a otherwise bad good movie. <laughs> Right. I will yeah. also say, um, I had this. Movie. I had this reaction watching it today. I, I'm certainly no filmmaker, and I don't know what goes into filmmaking. But I will say, as dumb and bad as this movie is, I started to notice the big choreography scenes are really well executed. Like Sam Furstenberg makes bad fucking movies, but apparently he knows how to shoot giant street dances right and it's very weird which if we go back though to that original street dance uh in the very beginning of the film one of the things that made me laugh about is because even though it was well choreographed there were a lot of little moments like there's a little old lady which is clearly somebody in their 20s (laughs) dressed up as an old lady they didn't even put lines on her face (laughs) but like the thing that makes me laugh and this has always been my thing about musicals in general, right, is they always have that scene. It's always in Hello Dolly or Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo or any other number of movies, but they have everyone singing and dancing, and it's always, like, people doing mundane things just get roped in. Right, yeah. Right? So there's the traffic cop. Right, who's just, right. But there's always that thing of people getting roped in and then you can clearly see that there are people like outside the zone in which this is happening <laughs> who are just going about their day-to-day lives. And in my mind, that implies that like whatever, in this case, Turbo's trickster god powers <laughs> yeah. has like a limited range <clears throat> that sure. they can work. So there's just some dude who's like trying to get to work and he's like, what the f*** <laughs> is this? Right? Yeah, I can't cross the street. Right? Is There's like, an old lady dancing and a traffic cop who's not doing her job. Right. Well, and that's the thing. is She was doing her job. She was giving a gangbanger, like, a ticket, right. which is real brave on her part. It was a cholo, part, right. Right? Uh... And then, like, she gives him the ticket, and then Turbo dances by, and the car starts dancing, too. Yeah, yeah. Right? Two cars. There were two separate cars dancing. Right. And again, and, and this is this is why I keep on coming back to Turbo is a trickster guy. <laughs> I think you're right. Right? Is because none of those scenes happen when it's just the other characters by themselves. <clears throat> Whenever he... Well, you, if you recall, which I clearly you don't, he was the one who could make a broom float in the first film. 
Oh, it's yeah. It's the only time. It is the only time in the first film where reality gets broken. Reality gets broken several times in Breaking 2. Right. But in the first one, he's out cleaning because we know that Turbo breaks no matter what he's doing. <laughs> right. Somehow, I bet he breaks while he's taking his shit. Yeah. I don't know how he does it, but he's doing it. He's I, popping and locking while it, he's dropping it, turds. It, it kind of implies that he either... To me, it either implies that he's... A, or my original thought was he was either autistic <laughs> right. or he had a problem like a physical addiction like kind of like an ocd like nervous tick like, i break. gotta i gotta break man like i gotta pop and lock no matter what i'm doing all right gotta pop and lock and make sure the lock is checked three times like that so he's sweeping and break dancing in the first one and then he bought, walks away from the broom and kind of puts his hand over it and the broom starts like dancing and floating with him right which again i go there's never a moment there's a scene like the scene where turbo asks ozone for help with girls starts off normal yeah right but there's a moment they start dancing with this doll and the doll becomes an actual woman. It, it swaps right? between Turbo's girl and Ozone's girl. Right, which is also... It swaps very, between Kelly and the cute little Latina girl. Right, which is very weird because you can clearly <laughs> see Ozone getting jealous over it. Right. When it's Kelly, but it, he's but also Turbo like, gets jealous when it's the other girl and Ozone's dancing with right? it. Right, and Ozone also gets like very aggressively sexual <laughs> when it's like the girl. Yeah, that's right. right? He's, he's way more dirty with the Latina girl than he is with... <laughs> Kelly, Kelly, you know, and that's one of those, like... Can we talk... Is it may, I might be jumping your bullets, but let's real quick before I forget. Turbo gets hurt near the end of the film. They go and visit him in the hospital, and then out of the closet... Right. ...comes his cute little Latina girlfriend. No one acknowledges... No one says, hey, what you doing in the closet? <laughs> right. She just... I don't know, lives in the closet? See, what was she doing in the closet? See, my, my, my perspective was uh, Turbo summoned her. <laughs> she was at home eating and then just appeared in the closet. Right, like she was going to the bathroom and opened the door. <laughs> she was coming out. Now I'm in a hospital room, what? And she doesn't speak any English, so she can't really right. complain or tell anyone like what's going on. Everyone's like, "Oh, she was in there." Turbo's just like, "Yes, she was." <laughs> All right, what else you got on your list here? Uh, so, eighties clothes are kind of gay. I uh, ozone in particular dresses very yeah, gay. Right. There's a lot of I. This is. Uh, I kept making Judas Priest references. Do you get the joke when I say that? Yes. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so like, Rob Halford was a gay man who was into BDSM and wore that shit on stage when he was in Judas Priest. Nobody knew he was gay. So all of these straight kids start wearing whips and chains, chains and right, gay and BDSM shit. And that clearly flowed over. Because if you even if you look at old like Grandmaster Flash stuff, there's a lot of the midriffs right. and a lot of the whips, the a lot of the collars. And, and there's the a there's a lot of that in this yeah. movie. And again, I'm not saying like gay in a pejorative sense. <laughs> right. I'm saying like especially with Ozone. Ozone and, in like, particular. And his like because I'm fr I'm like eighty percent convinced Ozone. I'm gonna bump it up to ninety, a conservative ninety that Ozone is bisexual. I will say that Ozone's uh, Ozone's dances always ended with just a little bit more flair, a right. little bit more fabulosity. 
in but, his dancing. But here's the thing: even when it was with other guys, <laughs> yeah, like it wasn't. It, it wasn't like, oh, here's Ozone popping and locking with Kelly. It was like, here's Ozone popping and locking with Kelly. <clears throat> And Turbo? Mm-hmm. Like... And so when they are fighting over the doll that keeps magically transforming into the two girls, then right. for some reason they start dancing together? Well, because but, they... And, they when, and let's be clear, everybody in this movie is dancing together because they're all breakdancing. But I'm talking about cheek to cheek, arm out, right. one arm around the shoulder... You know, well, because they destroyed the doll, right? Which they is already fighting over the doll, right, disturbing that... imagery, right? But like, but again, I go turbo, right? Is using his trickster god abilities, right, to make it a real living thing. Ozone's jealous, <laughs> destroys it, and they go like, "No, this is me and my boyfriend dancing <laughs> together." Yeah, it's very, it's very weird. It's not the uh, first time Furstenberg made us a question. Are these people gay? Right. <laughs> and uh, going back to Kelly for a moment, she is wearing the same handcuff belt with nearly <laughs> every outfit in the film, which is very weird because there are some outfits where it's just like, aren't you supposed to be a ballerina right yeah. now? Like, yeah. what kind of bondage leather ballerina? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she fluctuates. She she can move between worlds. She she wears the crazier shit when she's around the eighties kids. You know, a lot of torn, right. weird clothes. And you know what? There's a lot of asymmetry going on, especially with her. Like at one point, she's wearing a shirt. It's like a and like. The right side of the shirt hangs lower over her belt than the left side of the shirt. So right. either she's only tucked the left side in, or it's just cut weird. Which, uh, to be fair, again, that's all 80s clothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, so going back to the room that they were dancing in, cheek okay. to cheek. One of the things that I did notice in that scene, too, that freaked me the fuck out, <laughs> is apparently Ozone just sleeps in that room with a spray paint of a giant monster <laughs> above his bed. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's really hard to explain this room <laughs> where Ozone apparently lives. It's a shack. I know I've right. said this already, but I have to repeat. There are garden hoses and tools hanging on the walls. But the other side of the shack is spray painted weird, With crazy like colors, and like it's like graffiti and like mural art, yeah. And like, but in that spray painted section, which I guess is where Ozone and lives. his bed—I can't remember what they're called—but the kind of beds that can collapse upward into the wall. What's yeah, that called? they fold down. Yeah, so his bed is one of those that you can collapse upward. There's a name for it. I can't recall. But when he has it folded down. There's this gnarly toothed, <laughs> horrifying monster just hanging out right above his pillow. Right, and I don't know, I don't know if that's like some manifestation of like hidden trauma or something <laughs> like that. But I go, ima- imagine if someone had just spray painted like a monster above your bed, and like every night you have to go to sleep knowing this thing is staring down at you, like. There's a there's definitely a Lovecraftian quality right, to the, like, you know, it's well, okay, hold on. 
Maybe <laughs> Turbo came into our reality through, through that, that wall. Right, yes. And what we think is a spray painting of a monster is one of the elder gods <laughs> trying to push its way <laughs> into reality. <laughs> Turbo is actually the harbinger of Cthulhu. Right. <laughs> it all makes sense. Right. Uh, speaking of which, right, going back to our boy... Harbinger of chaos and <laughs> trickster dumb. Let's talk about him in the hospital, right? Okay. So we already mentioned girlfriend coming out of the closet, which is weird. Yeah. Uh, apparently, like when he so to explain, he originally goes into the hospital because he steals some tools from the construction guys and he's running away and then he falls down a flight of steps. Yeah. Which already concrete outdoor. <laughs> right. Big fall. Right. Not like seven, eight steps. Like it's a whole giant like park flight of stairs. <laughs> right. Like he and he takes the and he takes it bad. Yeah. Right. So like And it's funny, when he falls down the stairs, he turns into a man twice his age with a different haircut. Yeah, but I mean <laughs> but he's like, a trickster guy. So. Right. So his shape and form don't matter. <laughs> right, that's true. Uh but like he falls down this flight of steps and he gets hurt. So he winds up in the hospital. Which, first, I have to look on that scene and I go, those two construction guys got the fuck out of their fast. <laughs> right? Because clearly... They're not they're, the bad guys. They're just right. trying to get their tools back. Yeah, exactly. Back. Right? And, like, the, which is also another weird thing for the construction because, like, the smarmy 80s bad guys has, like, a real boner on for murdering people with construction equipment. Yeah. And everybody else in there is just like, no. <laughs> yeah, I won't, <laughs> like, I'm not going to run over yeah, kids like, with this bulldozer. Like, that's... No. Like, that's weird. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's weird. <laughs> right? So, like, he winds up in the hospital. And while he's in the hospital... He's like passed out until he summons his girlfriend from yeah from the her room, bathroom right. right. Uh, she kisses him awake. It's a real chaste, like genteel kind of kiss too, mm-hmm. which is kind of sweet. And like he wakes up and he goes, "I'm hungry." Which following up on that line of thought, he never gets fed. Like this never concluded to that lie. <laughs> uh, so and he wakes up real weird. He like wakes up and he's like. Like I, th- I guess the implication is that he's he's kind of dreamy headed because the pretty girl kissed him. Right. And he's kind of like, Ugh, and then kind of like falls right back asleep. Right. And, and then- the old guy is like, "Come on, man, get up. It's time to do." Remember, yeah. I think that's a direct quote from the film. <laughs> and uh, then, <laughs> then he just wakes up and goes. I'm hungry. And everybody goes, oh, he's all right. right. Right, Like, what was that entire chunk of the kiss and the, come on, hurry, hurry. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, right? It was this scene that convinced me of his magic. Yes. Because they wheel him out into the hallway. First off, I don't know where Ozone <laughs> magically got uh, doctor's jacket. And... While while they while the music started, he and Kelly both just put on doctor's jackets and stethoscopes, right. which they clearly didn't have before. Nope. They weren't like hanging up in the background, nope. nothing like that. They, they just, just they just appeared, right? Which again, I go once turbos involved, <laughs> yeah. the magic begins to work. They wheel him out into this hallway, and suddenly. People just start getting well. Yeah, there's right? people on crutches who throw their crutches and start right, breakdancing. Right. There's and a guy in a diaper doing the spin, the, right, the windmill, the, whatever that's called. 
And there's a dude, and this was like the next to last uh, note that I got before I started laughing too hard. Was there's a dude who just comes out of the doctor's lounge, but like he's, a patient. No, like, he's like he's like a twelve year old kid on crutches, right? and like he's just. And hanging. the door is very. It's not like it's not like a little. Oh, this is Blu-ray, and you can read in the corner. It says really loudly, right. "Doctor's lounge. lounge." Right. So it's just like, why were you hanging out in there? Like, what what happened that you're so turbo? reached out with his mind and found a potentially great dancer <laughs> who was in another room. Because remember, when the kid comes out of the doctor's lounge, he looks a little confused. <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> like, exactly. What am I doing here? That. Oh, I, so I, I, I'm glad well, that we And then the four sexy nurses show up right. in sexy nurse outfits that never existed, especially not in the 80s. Right. So I, I do have to kind of, now that you've said that, it's made me realize we're defining his powers a little more now. <laughs> yeah. All of Turbo's trickster goddery is based around dance. So yes. if he thinks you're a good dancer and he needs you for the dance, <laughs> he'll summon you out of the ether. Right. <laughs> right? And Which, all the while, that spray-painted monster is just getting more and more realistic. There's more detail starting to re- in his little tentacles. Or spray- right. Like, I don't remember spray-painting little suction cups on there. <laughs> right. So he summons Kid out of the ether. He summons a dude with a broken arm that just gets healed. Summons a dude on a walker who suddenly doesn't need the walker and a guy in a wheelchair. But my favorite thing about all that nonsense is sexy nurses start dancing in front of an operating window. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right? And dude clearly dies. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the doctors start dancing. Right. Then the dude flatlines. And then the doctors leave to go join the dance party. And then his flatline spikes back up and he rises from the dead. Right. So we've now established that Turbo can bring the dead Turbo is a necromancer. (laughs) <laughs> this is bad news I, I, I want to write a film now and that was when that was the moment when the spray painted monster suddenly felt a little more three dimensional like if you went up and touched it it kind of felt bumpy you were like what's this used to be yellow what is this dude I would love to write this as a horror film <laughs> yeah. now where it's just like like it all plays off as like a cute 80s romp but like the more you go throughout the movie, the more it's just becoming like real fucked up, <laughs> right? Like t- like you see like Turbo like shimming. like everybody's dancing and there's a whole street of dancing, right? Everybody's doing, and then there you just cut to one guy and he's dancing, but he has this terrified look on his face, <laughs> right. and he just looks at the guy next to him and goes, "I can't stop, <laughs> I can't stop," <laughs> right? And like Turbo like dances past a graveyard, and you see like some dude like banging on a coffin underneath, but in like, rhythm, boom, boom, right, boom, boom. <laughs> right, and then the line passes, and then like it starts getting frantic. Like, <laughs> oh man alright what you got for your last bullet point there Uh, so for my last bullet point uh, I had stopped on the trickster god thing but the last thing that I clearly remember in the movie is we need to talk about the rival gang that's Mm. not a rival gang that may be a rival gang I think I believe they were the electro boys or something like that or something of that nature 
So it's this group of Spanish street toughs, I guess you would say. There's at least one black guy in the group. Right. And they're all very... Very, like, butchy, leathery, kind of... Well, they, they're they very bandana-focused. Yes. They have, there's a lot of bandanas going on. Again, with the gay BDSM, the leader has a, a fucking studded collar Ch- yeah, choker, right. you know. <clears throat> so he's got a daddy somewhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we clearly established because we're like, that collar is way too expensive yeah. for him to afford as yeah. just a random street tough. Uh, but, like, they occur several times throughout this movie. And it's never really explained what their beef is with Ozone and Miracle. So they're at the nightclub. Where Ice-T is at, Where Ice-T is. Well, he wasn't there yet. He shows up later. (laughs) They're at the nightclub. Our heroes are at the nightclub, and the Electro Boys come in and just like, there's a new awesome dance team around here. You guys better beat it and go play with your little babies at the community (laughs) center. All right. So then... And, and interrupt me if I'm if I'm stepping on you here, but then the Electro Boys are found trying to sabotage the center. They're for like, reasons. For reasons. They throw a brick through the window and they're graffitiing it, which is hilarious because the entire building <laughs> has is, been, covered in is, is, is covered in playful, intentional yeah. graffiti. It's not necessarily gang sign shit. So they're tagging, I guess tag, or whatever they're doing, trying to desecrate... The place is called The Miracle. Trying to desecrate The Miracle. Our heroes chase them. They have a great breakdance fight, which mostly involves swinging objects around and not really dancing or fighting. Right. They lose. Through some omission of their own. Through, yes, through the law of breakdance fighting, <laughs> they have lost. Right. At which point they throw away their spray paint cans, like a, a, a defeat. You win. We're throwing away our cans. We're going to leave you alone. Then Ozone, they're in the movie like four times, maybe right. five. Then Ozone approaches them and goes, we should be together. They're trying to fuck up our neighborhood. They're trying to run out of here. And he's like, don't leave your jab on me, Ozone. <laughs> right. And then... The bulldozers are about to take down the miracle. The and elect- they just show up. The Electro Boys right. show up and they actually point toward the miracle. They like show the bulldozers. Yeah, go ahead. Just go that way right. and tear that piece of shit down. Yeah, go that way and murder a bunch yeah. of kids. But they're doing it in a very smug like, uh-huh, yeah, go right over there. That's where you tear it down. Uh, like they're celebrating the defeat of the miracle. Then after the miracle gets all their money... Or just before that, yeah, the Electro Boys just join in. Yeah, like in the middle of a street fair. Yeah, right. They just show up and join on stage, which, knowing the choreography. Right. <laughs> which, first off, either implies that they've been practicing. They're <laughs> like, oh man, we got to get good for when we go up on stage. Or alternatively, and this is the thing I like more, is the notion of like. Nobody ever stops to call them out, right? Like, they just get up on stage, and maybe I'm just too much of a petty asshole, (laughs) but I definitely would have been dancing on the stage and would have been like, yo, these are the Electro Boys, so glad to have them here, especially after they pointed that bulldozer at a bunch of kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, we've gone an hour. Um, do you have any uh, closing <laughs> thoughts or feelings? 
that I, you need to express? I my closing feeling on this movie, right, is go get yourself some friends, go get yourself some coke, and go get well Coca-Cola coke or cocaine, or whatever cocaine. works. Uh, maybe not cocaine, maybe like pot. Right. Yeah, you, you might enjoy this on pot. Yeah. Right, and go get yourself some rum, <laughs> sit down, watch this movie, and laugh your ass off. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. I, I Watching it today with you, I definitely noticed some dragging that I hadn't really before. With a few parts of like, oh god, just get the movie going already. <laughs> right. Like, is there a plot? Where's the plot? I want a plot. The, this, this, <laughs> the, the... I would say the biggest problem with this movie is they have this structure. It's a generic 80s plot. Oh, yeah. It's the it's same. The, by the way, it's the exact same story as the movie UHF, the Weird Al movie. Yeah. We're going to lose the station. We have to raise money. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah, but th- there's like a dozen oh, yeah, 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 yeah. or a hundred 80s it's movies. It's a super cliche. Yeah. It's like legit. It's all like, oh, the rich white guy is here to tear down the thing. Oh, let's get the kids together to yeah. stop the business. Whoa, you know. Um, but they go through that nonsense, right? But the biggest problem is like they have this structure, but like they fast forward through any meaningful foundation that would build you any interest in any of the characters outside of the meme factor of what this movie is i just had a realization i think that the reason why this is maybe a better film than revenge of the ninja is that instead of story I don't know, the vast majority of the film is just dance sequences. Yeah. Because every time it tries to actually build story, it's confusing and falls apart. You know, we didn't talk much about the story, but every time we did, it's like, why is the dad mad about this? And (laughs) is she engaged to this guy? And is she dating Ozone? And, like, why is she upset about being, like, going to Princeton? (laughs) The whole, anytime you start discussing the story, it unravels. So take a movie like Revenge of the Ninja, which is all story, and it's like, none of this fits together at all. Whereas with this movie... The minute the plot starts to unravel, it don't matter because you're about to hit a 10-minute dance sequence. So, kind of in the same vein, it's another it's another one of his films, but Ninja Assassin, right? Okay. This is also a Furstenberg movie? Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't know this. Uh, at least I believe so. Okay. I, I'm pretty certain he actually got the original guy from Revenge of the Ninja to be the main antagonist of Ninja Assassin. Keep talking. I'm going to look this up. But, um... So the biggest problem with that movie is all the fight scenes are fantastic. But much like you're saying here, anytime they stop the fight scene to do story, it's terrible. So there's a big... So a guy named James McTeague, Mick McTeague, directed Ninja Assassin. But I believe uh, Shokazuki is in this one. Yes. Oh. I, I definitely know. Yeah, there he is. Shokazuki okay. is in this movie. Yeah. Okay, so it, it may have just been an homage to the Revenge of the Ninja movie. Oh, I'm sure. But, like, the problem with that film is that it falls apart anytime they try to tell story, mm-hmm. but all the action sequences are great, which means that it has the exact <laughs> same problem as this movie. Yeah. 
Except it's about ninjas. <laughs> well, this one also, though, the dance sequences are well executed. But with, when they get big and, you know, it's the whole street or the whole hospital, you find yourself going, hey, is this a movie about breakdancing? Right. Because nobody's breakdancing. There's a lot of yes. there's a lot of people doing backflips and there's a lot, there's a lot of, of gymnastics. ballet and right. shit going on. It, it's it's a it's a weird thing of like there are at any given point there's one break dancer in the sea of people right but like he's actually doing the backspin while everyone around him's doing you know big orchestral right or they you know. are like throwing their hands up and being like oh look at this yeah. guy go you know but it's that thing of like once you pan out by like two or three factors you start going like oh. I don't. I don't think a lot of people are breaking. Yeah. I don't. I think. I don't think anyone at the well, miracles is teaching them how to break. Let's, Maybe. <laughs> let's let's end on this. They may not be breaking, but they're definitely having an electric boogaloo. boogaloo. That's and, what's uh, that's what's going on. And Michael made sure of it. Oh <laughs> well, 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 yeah. Well, he made the shrimp, or brought the shrimp, or he is the shrimp. I don't know. But he definitely brought the boogaloo. So. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So, so, how so, about that? So, how about this? How about this? How about this? How the fuck? How about this? This is, it's giving me a weird countdown, which I've never seen before. So, now we're on the stereo click. And now this is how I sound when I say things. Okay. But, but I wonder, what does Rafiq sound like when he says things? Well, this is how I sound in my head when I say things. Mm. I probably sound much more like this when I say things. <laughs> very, very loud. Wait a minute. <laughs> it doesn't work. You can't <laughs> use your actual voice <laughs> and then go, but my voice sounds like this. Like you can't. Put on an affectation and mimic your voice with a voice that isn't your voice. That's not how that works. Or is it? Because clearly I just did. Well, that's true too.